also, most days are average, right? They're just ordinary. Um, nothing extraordinary or unusual or atypical about your average days. Most days are like that. But average days flow out of extraordinary days, right? Um, all the average days you live are informed by those extraordinary days where you made momentous decisions and took dramatic action. Um, I'll just give you a couple of examples from my own life. Uh, I was 42 years old. Some of you know the story. I was thinking about going to seminary, leaving business and going to seminary, and I had my affairs in order. Um, I could go if I could just get up the courage to tell my boss. Uh, he comes walking in one morning. It was just an average day, right? Just an average day. He walks in, and uh, we just did the business plan. We were going to make a lot of money, and he was jazzed, right? This is the way bosses are. They're really jazzed when you're going to make a lot of money. And it was, you know, it was exciting. There would have been nice bonuses, and I, I felt the... my my heart was starting to race and I knew immediately that God wanted me to tell my boss that I was leaving the business and going to seminary. And uh, so I swallowed real hard and Ed was saying, man, Jim, this year, next year is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do so well. And I said, Ed, I'm not going to be here next year. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I said it. I actually couldn't believe I said it. And effectively giving my notice and my whole life changed, right? My whole life changed. It was an average day that became an extraordinary day. And it has informed every other day since that day. Uh, another one was my wife, of course. Uh, those of you who are married, you know, a little stressful, you know, to ask, to ask the, the woman if she really wants to, you know, do the thing. And, and so you have to kind of put it all out there and and she said yes. And praise God she said yes. She's a godly woman. She's awesome to me. I, I, she's the second best thing that's ever happened to me. Of course, Christ Jesus being the first. Um, that day of momentous decision changed every other day I've lived since. Um, one more. About three kilometers south, uh, six people sat in a, around a table talking about a dead church that needed a pastor but couldn't afford to pay a pastor, right? <laughs> so, so they offered us the job. And uh, nobody in their right mind would take this job, right? Um, but Karen and I saw it as an opportunity to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. It's a phrase I like to use. I stole it from Oswald Chambers. That decision has changed the rest of our lives. Uh, every day since then. I, I just want you to understand, every average day you live is flowing out of one of those momentous days. I want us to understand that. And these guys were watching in, in, in John chapter 8. They've been sparring with Jesus now for three or four weeks. We've been talking about it. They got up, they rolled out of bed one morning, and they walked right into God. And they've got to make a decision, right? It seems like an average day. It's just like any other day. Wrong. They walked right into Jesus Christ. And they've 
they've walked into the, the fork in the road, so to speak. The, the ultimate fork in the road where a man must decide what he will do with God. So, what started out as an average day for these men had escalated into one of those do or die days. They walked into God incarnate. And the same is true for you and me. Particularly tonight. You're here, you're hearing the Word of God preached. You know, anytime you're sitting under the Word of God, it is not an average day. <laughs> okay? God may do something momentous in you if you are willing. If you will submit to Him and humble yourself under the Word of God, you have no idea what God may call you to do. You have no idea how God may change your life. Read your Bible, right? He just shows up sometimes in the lives of His people. And He asks them to do impossible things. <laughs> Why does God ask His people to do impossible things? Why? Because He's the God of the impossible, right? He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth, is what He tells us in His Word. Last week we saw Jesus talking to these men and He was brutally honest. And we talked about this, how, how being honest with people, it's really an act of love. You know, the world says that your average evangelical Christian is intolerant, that, that he's full of hate speech. But what we know is true, we're offering life to dead people. That is not hate speech. That is, in fact, love speech. So I just want to, you know, I'm going to put it out there to you before we get into the text. This may be an average day for you, but it may not be. <laughs> God saved me in church, okay? I was raised in church. Um, and I was baptized when I was eight. Didn't mean anything to me. But at 28, I was sitting in church just to please my mother. And God saved me. Everything changed that day. Everything changed. And uh, so... I'll just ask you, will you be open to God tonight? Will you consider stop chasing the world and, and go with Him? Will you really give yourself away to Christ? Which is the call of the Gospel. This is the call. The call of the Gospel is not come join a church. That is not the call of the Gospel. The Gospel is come and follow Me. We've been seeing it all the way through. The Gospel of John Last week, Jesus said to these men, John 8.42, If God were your Father, you would love Me. This is the bottom line for every human being who ever walks the planet. If God were your Father, you would love Me. Basta. That's it. That's it. Is that the signature of your life? Do you love God? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living that way. Can the whole world tell by just watching you? Can they tell who you love? Can they tell you love Him? Can they tell you know Him? Can they tell you've submitted your whole life to Him? Because that's what Christianity is. It's not just church going when it's convenient. Last week, we saw Jesus tell these men in verse, 40, verse 47, He said, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Strong indictment for these men. 
And then we see the response tonight. Verse 48, I mean, verse 48 of John 8. You heard the text read. Verse 48. The Jews say back to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So, these guys, as they always did, they always were fighting with Christ and they were always losing you know, on that intellectual plane. And as you see happen often, uh, when people are in debates or arguments, uh, if, if, if one person is losing the intellectual argument, he'll go to the emotional side, right? And then, if he's still losing, he'll, he may go to the slander uh, side of the equation. If he's still losing, he, he may ultimately get violent. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see this progression in the text uh, tonight as they actually begin to pick up stones. They call him a Samaritan. This is an ultimate insult from one Jew to another. It's like saying you are a heretic, you are apostate, you do not belong to the people of God. Then they say, you must be demon-possessed. Okay, God incarnate, right? God incarnate is standing before them, and this is the arrogance of these men, right? You must be demon-possessed. It's just shocking, really. It's actually shocking. This is how upside down dead religion becomes. And if you've been in this church very long, you, you know that my view of religion. There's religion and then there's Christianity. All of this is satanic. This is of God. This is relationship. And I know that Many denominations, they've taken Christianity and tried to turn it into religion. You know, you do the five magic things and bam, you're in. But we know from reading our Bibles that, you know, it's all about relationship. It's all supernatural. It's about being born again. We've studied these words of Jesus. But they insult Him. They call Him a Samaritan. Of course, Jesus could have swatted these men like a bug intellectually and any other way He chose to do so. But we see His patience. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor My Father, and you dishonor Me. Remember what He told them in John 5.23, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. We've seen this over and over and over in the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ is presenting His deity over and over and over. So we've talked about the fact that if you're not coming to God through Jesus Christ, you're not coming to God. It doesn't matter what your argument is, what your religious you know, resume is, if you're not coming through Christ, you're not coming to the true God. This is the Gospel of John. If you're not worshiping Jesus Christ, then you're not worshiping the true God. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you're not following the true God. If you're not honoring Jesus Christ in your life, you are not honoring the God who is. People all over the world profess to love God, to worship God. In all the false religions and even in the pseudo-Christian religions, Jesus says, if you were of My Father, you would love Me. And so I just, I just ask, you know, do you love Him? 
This is really what we're talking about. Do you love Him? Is it real every day? Is it intimate? Is the conversation going on? Are you talking to Him? Are you listening to Him? This is biblical Christianity. This is what it is. So, these guys, these religious men, the most religious men who've ever walked the planet, we've talked about it many times, they're at the fork in the road. It was an average day, but it's not average anymore. They're in a conversation with the living God. And Jesus said, if God were your Father, you'd love Me. Verse 50, But I do not seek My glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Christ is not seeking His own glory in His first coming. It will be on display in His second coming. But you guys know the great text, Philippians 2, 6-8, through the, the condescension of Jesus. Let me just read it to you, these words of Paul. Although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is something I don't think we meditate on enough. This is God in the flesh. Yeah, I know the theology, but have you laid on your face and worship that God has come for you like this? Right? Or is it just music to you? Well, I've heard it a million times. I've been in church all my life. But have you been astounded by it? Have you been changed by it? He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, humbling Himself, becoming obedient to the, de- to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is saying that while He is not here seeking glory in His first sojourn on the planet, He will next time. He will next time. One is coming, in fact, He says. He's talking about Himself. He will return in the fullness of His glory. And I'm just going to read it to you because I like to you know, read it a couple of three times a year from the pulpit. You guys know the great text. Well, first, let me remind you what He said in John 5.22. The Father has given what? All judgment to the Son. So he know, we know He's coming. Revelation 19.11-16. Listen to these words. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it called, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is his second coming. His second coming will be filled with glory. I was talking with Karen uh, today at lunch. I was just, as I was studying through the passage, I was thinking about unbelievers and lukewarm Christians, which they claim to be Christian, but we know they're not because a lukewarm Christian is, a, is an oxymoron. 
And I thought about, you know, when Jesus splits the sky, what's going to be the first realization in their mind and in their heart? You know? Tremendous fear. I've wasted my whole life. When we see Him, we will understand if we are outside Christ, I will have wasted my whole life pursuing something that does not matter at all compared to Him. Right? I have wasted my whole life and I have lost my eternity. That will be the realization. When He splits the sky, and I was thinking about it, when He splits the sky and I turn and I look, if I'm still walking the planet, I, I think, I don't know, you know, I may hit my face because every man that saw Him in the Bible hits his face, but I, I, I think I'm going to smile and rejoice because I want to see the glory of Christ. Amen? I want the world to see the glory of my Savior, right? So, He is coming in glory. And if you read the Revelation, He said quickly, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word, he shall never see death. We understand. We make the point probably weekly here that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But we understand what the Bible means by that. <laughs> if it's real, it's in the life, right? Uh, faith without works is dead. And so we see this linkage over and over again uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, if anyone is doing My Word, he will never see death. You will never die, Christian. You will never die in the sense that unbelievers die. Right? Death for us will be simply passing through a portal. You know, as Paul says, absent in the body, present with the Lord. It's just a transition. We will not experience the kind of death Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the second death. What is the second death in the book of Revelation? What is it? To be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We will not see it. We will not experience it. This is the Word of God. He who keeps My Word shall not see death. I'll just ask you, are you keeping His Word? You say, no, Jim. Not very well. Then I say, repent and believe. Repent and believe and do the Word. Do the Word. None of us do it perfectly. We all struggle with sin in our lives. But I guess the point is, have you set your heart on doing the Word? It's what matters to me when I get up in the morning. I want to do the Word with my wife. I want to do the Word with my husband. I want to do the Word with my children. I want to do the Word at the university. I want to do the Word at the aperitivo. I want to do the Word on the internet while I surf it. I want to do the Word, right? I want to do the Word. And you know, there's a life that comes when we do the Word. It's not simply we, we, we avoid the second death, but there, there's a life that comes. God's life. We feel the pleasure of God in our life as we do the Word. We've been seeing this in the Gospel of John. You have to come to the light. You have to eat the bread. You have to drink the water. You have to obey the Son. You have to abide in His Word. You have to follow Jesus. You have to keep His commandments. John 3.21, we saw it months ago. He who practices the truth comes to the light 
that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Jesus says, anyone who keeps my word, they shall not see death. The second death. Yes, we experience physical death. But we are spiritually alive. We belong to Him. Verse 52 and 53. The Jews said to Him, Now, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps My word, he shall never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Well, he's been saying it for two and a half years who he makes himself out to be. But they say, you've got to be crazy, man. You, you, you have to have a demon. Who do you think you are? He's God and He's about to tell him. He's been telling him for two and a half years and He's going to tell him tonight like He's never told him before. This is the most, probably the most important verse in the Bible. Jesus is categorical. No, Islam, He's not a prophet. He's God. He says He's God. So He's a liar or He's God. You have to decide, right? You make the decision. He's been telling them all along that He is God. You may remember in Matthew 12, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. And He said, I'll give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. The Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. And you may remember, Jesus said to them on that occasion, He said, you know, the men of Nineveh who Jonah preached to and repented, they will judge you because something greater is here now. Something greater than Jonah is here. I'm here. God's here. I've come to you. I've come to my people. As John 1 says, He's come to His own, but His own has received Him not. Then Jesus said, you know, the Queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but she'll judge you, He said. The Queen of Sheba because something greater than Solomon is here. We've talked about it over and over and over and over again. It's not simply that these men don't believe, it's that they will not believe. It doesn't matter what He says. It doesn't matter what He does. They will not believe. I know that you encounter men and women like this in the world all the time. You can make all the logical, rational, biblical, sound arguments you want. You know, they don't want it. They just, they just do not want to hear the truth. So these men are like many of the people that we run into every day. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify Myself, My glory is nothing. It is My Father who glorifies Me, of whom you say, He is our God. Jesus is not here to be glorified in His first coming. He is here to be crucified. Now, in my view, this is a good reason to go home and worship. Okay? You think deeply about this. Why would God be crucified? Why would God subject Himself? Why would God condescend to take on flesh? Why would God be in a manger in Bethlehem? We'll talk about it next week. What would possess God to do such a thing? 
He's come to redeem a people for the glory of His name and for the joy of the redeemed. This is why He has come to save His people. He's come to be abased, abused, ridiculed, beaten, scourged, and crucified. Jesus says, it's my Father who glorifies me. You guys remember that great text in John 17, right? You remember the great text where Jesus is praying to the Father? And He says this amazing thing. He says, I have glorified you, Son praying to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth, accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory I had with you before the world was. And then, what is the amazing thing that Jesus begins to pray for you and me if you're a Christian tonight? You have to know John 17. If you don't know John 17, if, you, if you're not familiar with John 17, this is another opportunity for you this week to go worship. Right? And then Jesus begins to pray like this. He says, And the glory which you, He's talking to His Father, the glory which you have given me, what? Someone tell me how that ends. You got to know this, beloved. Okay, there'll be a test next week. You have to know this. Right? Okay, let me read it again. And the glory which you have given me, the Son says to the Father, I have what? Given to my people. Wait a minute. This, did he just say that? That I will in some mysterious, inexplicable way taste the glory of God? That's what he said. You know, as one theologian said, without being blasphemous in any way, he quite humbly said, it's almost like, it's not like, but it's, it's almost like, but it's not like, but it's almost like we're the fourth member of the Trinity. Beloved, these are, these are amazing things. And you thought it was an average day. You thought you were just showing up. I'm going to do church, you know, and get out as quick as I can. I'm not saying that about all of it. That's how I used to think, okay? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some of you think this way. That's how I used to think. You thought it was an average day. It's not. God's play, praying that we would somehow taste and be enveloped in and participate in the glory of God. That verse is, is, has informed my joy in God for a number of decades now. Verse 55. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know Him. And I keep... His Word. Jesus says to these men, you say, My Father is your God, but you have not known Him. It's always this way. We talk about it all the time. And for the benefit of those who are visiting, I'll just tell you, it, you know, biblical Christianity, if you, have a, uh, if you ever have to just simply define it in, in the terms that Jesus defines it, you just go to John 17.3. Jesus says, biblical Christianity is going to church. Is that how He says it? It's praying a magic prayer. It's being baptized. It's doing sacraments. Jesus says, it's knowing Me. It's always this. 
just read the Gospels. I invite you, just read the Gospels. It's always this. It's always this relationship, right? That's what it is. And that's again what Jesus is talking about. John 17.3, I invite you to go look at it and think deeply about it. So look at what He says here at the end of verse 55. I do know the Father and I, here it is again, I keep His Word. Okay, Jesus is our Lord. You know, He can't be your Savior. Just your Savior. And, and you know, a lot of modern Christians, they say, well, He's my Savior, but I don't actually do what He says. He's really not my Lord. They don't use these words, but by their life they say, He's really not my Lord. He's my Savior. Well, biblically, this is impossible. You can't do this. You don't get to split Jesus up like that. He is your Lord and Savior, or He's not your Savior. That's how it works, beloved. That's how it works. But we see this linkage. And, and our model for living the Christian life is Jesus Christ. He says, I know the Father and I do what He says. Now, He does it perfectly. You and I don't. But it's our heart's desire to honor God this way, right? We wake up in the morning. And some of us are pretty slow and pretty dull. And I'm one of them. I'm not a morning person. But my heart as I begin to talk to God, it runs to God, right? Not flawlessly, not effortlessly. You know, sometimes I had a great, I had a young woman who used to be in this church. I was talking to her a few weeks ago. She said, Jim, I remember what you always said. You got to preach to yourself, right? You got to preach to yourself if you're going to be a Christian. You got to do it. You got to preach to yourself. <laughs> you just do. You have to know the Word of God. And you have to preach to yourself. Verse 50. Where am I? Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. I love this. I heard one preacher say, Abraham's the first Christian. Now how is that possible? How is it, how, how is it possible Abraham's the first Christian? He believed. Abraham looked forward even as you and I look back. Abraham believed the prophecy. What was it? Genesis 12.3 in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham believed. We talked about it last week. Abraham encountered Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. It's called a theophany, a physical manifestation of God. God appeared to Abraham multiple times. He knew Jesus Christ. He talked to Him face to face. And this is why uh, Jesus is saying to the, the Pharisees, you know, you don't treat me like sons of Abraham should treat me. Abraham treated me well. Abraham honored me. Abraham worshipped me. Abraham obeyed me. One of the things we saw Him say last week so we look back at the life and work of Jesus even as Abraham looked forward. Hebrews 11.13, it alludes to it. Abraham saw Jesus' day from afar off. But Abraham believed forward even as you and I believe back. So, verse 57, The Jews therefore said to Him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. These guys... I run into a lot of people like this, you can imagine in my line of work. They think they should be able to understand all that God is doing, right? 
They demand an accounting from God. I, it, they don't use that word most of the time, but it's like, I want to know what you're doing. I want a complete, total explanation. Well, we've said it a hundred times in here. God does not explain Himself to His creatures. He simply doesn't do it. Even the Bible is not an explanation. The Bible is just simple revelation, beloved. But you run into men and women like this. They want to understand, you know, they want to process, these guys want to process the, the incarnation with their two and a half pounds of gray matter. Listen, if you're waiting to fully comprehend God, you'll never come to God. Trust me. He is, as we teach our children, incomprehensible. You can't get to the end of God. You have to remember, you are finite. He is infinite. We, after a billion eternities, we'll, we will not have gotten to the end of God. Man, I, it's one of the things I, I, I still remember. My seminary professor, my theology professor, the thing I never forgot him saying. He said a lot of cool things, but the thing I never forgot was we would ask him a lot of questions, you know, that, that there, were, there are really no answers to. And he would say, I don't know. And he would start singing. And we'd start worshiping. We don't know! But we know God! Right? We don't have all the answers, but we have Jehovah. We have Jesus Christ. He's loved me with His blood. Right? And we would just all start worshiping God. Right? <laughs> you know, it's the best answer I ever heard a Christian give. I have no idea. But I know Him. Hey, you don't have to have all the answers. You should be a student of the Word. You should be able to talk intelligently about it. But we don't have to have all the answers. God says through His prophet Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. Paul says it in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor? And here it comes. Verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? What is He saying? What is He clearly saying for the whole world to know? Not just these Jews. You know, the Gospel is not an ethnic project. Okay? What is He saying? So every Jew would understand, but so will every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever born. Jesus is saying, I am God. You know, you hear people in the world say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, that's just simply false. He did. Many times. And it can't be misunderstood in this text. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I think it's maybe the most decisive verse in the Bible with respect to the deity of Jesus. You guys know the story. Exodus 3.14 Moses asked for God's name. And God said, I am who I am. I just am, man. I'm, I am. I'm, I'm, I am. I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the God who was and is and is to come. I just am. It's the meaning of Yahweh. You know, the, the Hebrew word for God. Yahweh. It's where we get the, 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 the English word Jehovah. He's I am. He just is. He's the unbegun. He's the uncreated. Nobody else is like Him. He's completely separate in this way. Nobody is like God. He is 
the great I am. It's, it's the name that is used for God 6,800 times in the Bible. Jesus is saying before Abraham existed, I existed. I created Abraham. I spoke the galaxies into existence. I am Yahweh. I get people ask me all the time, again, in my line of work, and if you're a vocal Christian, I'm sure you get the question sometimes. People ask me a lot, well, why doesn't God reveal Himself? And what's our answer? What's the Christian answer? He has. He does every day. But He has. Right here, He says He's God. Jesus Christ was God. He did reveal Himself. And what did humanity do to Him? Jew and Gentile both. We murdered Him. He has revealed Himself, beloved. He has done that. So these religious guys, they rolled out of bed one morning. They thought it was going to be an average day and they walked right into God. And they walked right into that most important fork in the road. It was a day of momentous decision and action. The day you decide which way you will go, which path you will take. It's the decision that informs the rest of your life. It's what it was for these religious leaders. You remember Matthew 7. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad, which leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, And the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. I mentioned to you a lot, Matthew 7, you know the religious guys, and they have these amazing religious resumes, and they're saying to Jesus on the last day, I did all this stuff, man. I I did a lot of stuff in your name. And Jesus says what? What does Jesus say to them? I don't know you. Which takes us back to the point we were making Earlier, you may remember in Luke 13, someone asked Jesus, are only a few being saved? Which of course was contrary to the Jewish te- teaching. The, the Jews were teaching that, that all Jews would be saved except for tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Right? We're all in because we're Jews. We're all in because we're sons of Abraham. Right? Well, Jesus has been debunking this for eight chapters now. But Jesus said in response to that question, Strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What's He saying? He's saying when the judgment comes, the door will be closed. No one will be able to enter. You have the opportunity today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know Him, you can come to Him. You can have Him. You can have life. Because when He returns, or when you die, there will be no second chance. It's one of the things He's saying in this text. And I keep saying this because it keeps coming to my mind as we go through the Gospel of John, Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. Verse 59, and we're done. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at Him, but Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. Yeah, it started out as an ordinary day, but they ran into God and they chose their religion over God. They chose their religion 
over God. Some of you showed up here tonight. It's just an average day. But God is challenging some of you to change your life. Every one of us in this room, we know where God is challenging us. We know. Some of us know Him and we've got sin in our life and He's challenging us to put it down. Some of us don't know Him at all and He's saying, as we've been saying over and over and over again, Isaiah 65.1 and Ezekiel 33.11, here I am, why will you die? Here I am, why will you die? Right? You thought it was an average day when you walked in here. God's talking to you. Right? Anytime the Word of God is preached, God's talking to us. And I include myself. I preach to myself more than I preach to you. I don't know if you believe that, but it's true. Man, who wants to be... Who wants to be a cowardly Christian? I mean, who wants to be that? Who wants to be a fake Christian? Who wants to pretend? How proud will you be when, the, when He splits the sky that, hey, I was a really good pretend Christian for 25 years. Beloved, what I'm saying is, don't settle anymore. <laughs> okay? Don't settle anymore for the, for the, for the mundane stuff. Okay? Come. As Jesus says, come, drink. Come, eat. Right? This is the Word of God. So, it's not an average day for any of us. God is speaking to every one of us. His Spirit is convicting us. So, I'll just stop with this. What will you do with this ordinary day? What will you do? Well, um,